listening to www.infinitesmile.org. Enjoy these Zen-inspired talks given by Michael McAllister. Thank you for listening. The Infinite Smile Sangha is made possible by the generosity of friends, members, and people who have been touched by this teaching. Please visit our donations page at infinitesmile.org to help us continue our efforts in spreading the Dharma. I had a very interesting experience when I was first, uh, <laughs> when I was a much younger monk. Uh, the question was was asked at a, uh, after a, a sitting in the Q&A, why is it that we sit? Why is it that we, you know, do this meditation? Which I thought was a fairly... Uh, um, powerful question, as simple as it was. I thought it was very powerful in kind of a neat way. And uh, the response was, was immediate from the teacher. She said, uh, it's the physicalized version of awakening. That when we sit in meditation, we are physicalizing enlightenment. And I really didn't quite understand, you know, where this was going or what was being articulated, but it was uh, it was explained this way: that when we sit in a in a posture, whether it's on a chair or it's on a cushion, uh, or even to a certain extent, although it, it tends not to work so well, lying down, um, when we are sitting in a posture where we are upright, where we're meeting our life where we are not shying away and we're not leaning in, where we're just right here, unsupported by anything other than the universe itself, we then have an opportunity to become very accident-prone. Accident-prone as in enlightenment, the great accident. Sitting still allows us to become accident-prone. I thought this sounded pretty good. And uh, so uh, she went on and she kind of kept going with this saying that what we miss is that we look at meditation as a thing to do to get us somewhere instead of a chance for us to fully express ourselves from that space that's beyond words. So in other words, as we sit, can we literally just be still? Can we let the chattering, repetitive, circuitous pattern of thought be seen and not let it dominate? Can we allow our body, our bodies, with all their pains, with all their cravings, with all their aversions, can we just allow them to be as they are? without moving, to do anything to them, to adjust so that, oh, okay, now I'm comfortable. Whoa, now I'm, now I'm now uncomfortable. Okay, good. You know, instead of going through that game, what do we do? We sit right with it.
I was plagued right around the same time with um, uh, a just perpetually itchy nose when I would sit in meditation. And I was told by, you know, and it wasn't like something wildly exaggerated, but just every single time I would feel it and go, oh, damn it, here it comes. Yeah, okay, what am I going to do? I'm not supposed to move. Well, maybe, if, you know, type of thing. <laughs> Lean for no one will see this. There we go, you know, and then take a swipe at my nose. But uh, I had this, the, I was sitting next to one of the senior monks on this one particular uh, meditation, and, uh, and she said, uh, how's your nose doing? I was like, ugh. <laughs> you weren't supposed to see that, you know. She kind of started laughing, and she said, she, said, she said, let it fill you. Let the experience of the itchy nose fill you until you're about to burst. And then just watch what happens. And so bizarrely, I was kind of looking forward to the next period of meditation and just, you know, here it is. Okay, you know, now what's going to happen? Physicalized enlightenment, all right, not moving. Well, what it allowed for, the teaching of the physicalized version of enlightenment, was it allowed for kind of a, a girding, you know? It allowed for kind of a, all right, let's do this. And then as the nose itch invariably kind of showed up, I was able to practice with that nose itch. I was able to allow the itchy nose to become the focal point of every single bit of my attention. Everything went into this, I knew exact, the exact placement of it and so forth, and it kept getting more intense and more intense and more intense, and I felt internally like I was screaming because my habitual move would have always been to itch go for it, you know, scratch, ah, done. And then if it wasn't the itchy nose, it was always something else. Now my knee's a little sore, then I'd move. Or my back's in, okay, there, you know, whatever. Instead of just being absolutely still with what is. So I was very still with this itchy nose and it kept growing and growing. And the vision I had in my head was of a balloon that was getting ready to pop. And I just sat there telling myself, I'm going to let it pop. I'm not moving. And in that day, my meditation changed forever. It was just a nose itch. But it was one of the great teachings because what it allowed for was this carrying, this presence. It was a practice of carrying this presence into the most simple of life's annoyances. Most of us face stuff that's far more intense than nose itching during our day. But a sitting meditation practice allows for us to develop that structure. It allows for us to develop that kind of stability even in the face of itchy nose the loss of someone we, we love, and everything in between. We physically become still, truly still, and the mind follows. So that's kind of what we're, that's kind of what we're doing.
And my recommendation is that as we sit, you, you're lucky if you're new because we only have a few minutes of meditation. You know, practice with your nose itches or my, my forehead itch that I have right now uh, or whatever. Whatever it is, just be. Just be. Watch and listen to the chatter of the mind without getting swept up by it or beaten around by it. Feel that body of yours without trying to adjust anything. Just be right there with it. And you are then physicalizing awakening because there's something in you that's not moving. There's something in you that's observing this entire thing. And when that silent, still observing presence is allowed to meet itself through this very body that you're sitting in right now, it crashes through in really powerful, powerful ways. And that's the invitation at least. That you allow and invite that experience of crashing through everything that binds you. But the only way you'll ever get there, the only way any of us will ever get there is if there is deep resonant stillness that's practiced again and again and again. scheduled to give the Zazen instruction at Green Gulch Farm Zen Center the Sunday after 9-11-2001. Some of you may have heard me tell this story before, but uh, so I was, uh, I was just recently a resident, um, or I, I, was in a, I was in a practice period, the fall and the January practice period there at Green Gulch, so I was kind of going through the ritual of the Zendo, when we bow, when in doubt bow, you know, that whole thing. And uh, I walked into the Zendo to, you know, give my spiel. Normally there were, you know, 15 to 20 people. And I walked in on this particular Sunday and the place was full. And for any of you who've ever been there, this puts us at somewhere close to I'm guessing about 150 or 200 people. And I sat up in the front and gulped. And I said, so, my sense is you are all here to uncover a bit of peace. And the heads all went like this as if in unison. And what 9-11 did is it brought that very natural human um, desire to the fore. It brought it right out in front. Everybody had to stare at it squarely. Everybody had to look at one particular quality, which was fear. Now fear very quickly turns into anger. You can't have anger without fear. And for that matter, you can't have anger's extension, hatred, without fear. But fear is the orientation for our negativity. It's what awakens in us 
our negativity. And what is it that we are afraid of? Well, we are afraid of lots of things, but ultimately what we're afraid of is loss. We're afraid we're gonna lose something. And the teaching is so clear about this. It's one of the, the brilliant aspects of Buddhist teaching is that all things are temporary. Nothing lasts. Absolutely nothing will last. And so for us to pretend that we can make something last, we start believing that we can make it last. And in that belief structure come all these attachments, this clinging. Oh, I can make this last. I can make this last. When actually everything is going to fall apart. Entropy always wins. Always. And so instead of attaching to things and trying to keep them, what is the Buddhist teaching throw at us, let go. In fact, you could sum up every bit of this teaching in those two words, let go. There's, there are other traditions that say that too, let go and let God. Well, this one actually takes out that second step. And it's not no slight against God, uh, but it's basically saying in letting go, God reveals herself or himself through this very experience. It really is that easy. That if instead of living a life where we are clinging, we actually live a life that is a series of surrenders, not giving in, and it doesn't mean we don't take care of the things we have. Of course, we endeavor to maintain relationships maintain the things we, we like, whether they're material or they're you know, our own bodies. We engage in that very mindfully. That's all well and good. But to assume that doing 100 push-ups every day is gonna keep your body youthful even as you approach old age is folly. For us to assume that if we, for instance, invest our pennies perfectly according to our plan, that everything will work out just fine, we find that that often, I mean, some people are really lucky, they do that well, but we also normally take some major hits. So really the art of living from this perspective, in this context, the art of living shows up as an ability to negotiate these pitfalls. And when we do fall down, when we are in the mud, it's not to furiously try to escape the mud, it's to be able to recognize what the mud feels like and be right there with the mud. And when we are in absolute ecstasy, filled with grace, can we be right there with the grace? Can we be right there, surrendered, open, if we can, then we are actually moving through the world in the same way we are physicalizing enlightenment as we sit still. We are coming at the world from wonder as opposed to knowing. And if any of you can recall what it was like to feel deep wonder, childlike wonder, 
there is a certain calm, abiding thrill that every one of us hopefully experienced at some point in time in our life. And while meditative practice is not about becoming more childlike, it is about letting that stuff that got potentially smashed and squashed out of us, you know, we went through our 20s or whatever, whenever it was, okay, it's kind of reclaiming that openly. It's allowing it to start to sing again through us at the cellular level. So <laughs> as much as people can, and I get grief about this all the time, you know, it's, uh, Buddha, I got grief about this actually from um, some uh, uh, Vajrayana Buddhists, some Tibetan Buddhists in Nepal. I said, oh, you're Zen. <laughs> Zen. And I'm like, what? They go, Zen. <laughs> you never laugh. Ha ha ha, life's funny. Ha ha ha. Remember? It's like, yeah, of, of course it is. Yeah, but you're Zen. You know, it's just the strangest thing. And in these dialogues we had, it was very interesting for, for uh, uh, this particular uh, uh, Geshe to let go of the attachments he'd had towards my tradition. And for me, it was, it was an incredible growth experience for me not to hit him. <laughs> Don't go dissing my Zen, Lama. <laughs> Yo, Lama. I don't know. The long and the short of this, <laughs> this whole talk basically is um, it's, about, it's about inviting, inviting not knowing, inviting uncertainty, inviting the temporary nature of all things into your day to day, letting it be there and becoming an observing presence to all that arises. Once we start seeing what is arising in our experience, there's a very natural opening that occurs and we start recognizing, wait, okay, yeah, oh yeah, there's that, there's the, oh, I can identify that and that and that. What's doing the identifying? And then boom, at that moment, we recognize that rather than being a contracted, fixed entity called a self, there is something without bound that is always already present, that never moves, that reflects everything just like a mirror. A mirror does not pick and choose what it reflects, neither does our witnessing awareness. It's just there. It's still. It's peaceful. It's open. And it sits just like this in this moment. And that's what this Sangha is really kind of about. Can we help each other? Can we provide a container for each other to approach that spaciousness on a day-to-day -day basis? Especially on Mondays, but on a day-to-day -day basis. You know, can we go with each other into a retreat or into a day-long intensive and help each other just by being with each other? It's a very beautiful thing and a very powerful thing. And some of you may have recognized the depth and uh, incredible unfolding that can occur when we are as a group together. 
it in many respects has an entirely different vibe than sitting uh, by ourselves in our homes uh, or out on a field. When we're right here with each other, we start recognizing the power of what it means to have an organization that actually, actually supports awakening. So to that end, I gotta tell you from the bottom of my heart, I appreciate you. Thank you. <laughs>